Um, so you want to make sure that you, you you're not you're conscious about not having a big ego. You need to be humble all the time. Only when you're humble, only when you know that you could be failing, then that then you can take new things in. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. Experienced, smart, versatile women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace today. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. Bessie Lee joins me today here in New York. She's founder and CEO of Within Link, a China-based startup incubator and early-stage venture fund. They invest in areas like mobile advertising, big data, analytics and social media. And prior to launching Within, she was CEO of WPP China. Bessie, lovely to have you on the show. It's an honour to be here. Thank you, Susan. You, and the honour's mine. Um, you spent nearly 30 years in the media communications world, but mm. the advertising industry in China wasn't much of anything before the 80s. Now mm. it's number two mm. in the ad market worldwide. How did you get your foot in the door? What do you think is the main explanation for why China's doing so well in this space? Um, I I consider myself very lucky to have the chance to, to be relocated to Shanghai uh, about 17 years ago already. Um, and you know, funny when when I got this assignment to go, a lot of my friends in Taiwan, where I'm from, said that, "Oh, you're you're gonna be the last batch of people or expats going to China to work." It wasn't true. We still have a lot more wanting to come to China. Um, so I started my sort of China journey 17 years ago. What fascinated me in China was this whole trial and error culture. It's the same with the marketing world as well. Um, everything happens in China speed. So it happens so quick and the speed itself is a challenge to marketeers and, and professionals in, 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 the, in the marketing industry. Um, and it's not the kind of speed that you'll be able to experience anywhere else, certainly for me, right, coming but, from yeah, Taiwan. Interesting. Um, so it's that speed that becomes a trigger, I guess. Well, a lot of new ideas. I have a theory, Bessie. Mm. Can I try out my theory? Yeah. Okay, so this is my theory. Mm. <laughs> the theory by me. <laughs> um, so my theory is that in the West, when we learn the alphabet, we learn 26 letters. <laughs> when the Chinese uh, learn the language, I know you're from Taiwan, but when the Chinese learn Mandarin, they learn at least 10,000 characters. So my theory is that the Chinese, certainly the Asian world, are much more visual than we are in the West, which is why they get advertising. And that's why the alacrity and the speed that you talk about is so successful in China. Mm -hmm. That's my theory. What do you think that's, about that's that That's interesting. Because our, our language, certainly, the written form is very pictorial. pictorial. Yeah, we, we are much more, I don't know how the word is, you know, we look at the words, whereas mm -hmm. you look at the pictures. Mm -hmm. But when I first arrived in China, I must say that the 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 mainly Chinese talent in the marketing and advertising industry was still at a very early stage of sort of being developed. Because I, I, I guess because China's, the new China's history, 
Um, it only started open, opening up to the world in the late 70s. Yeah, 79, yeah. Um, so I think at that time, at least the first decade, first decade I started working in China, you, you have to rely on talent from Taiwan, from Hong Kong, from maybe Singapore, to, to bring that exposure to the talent in China. But I think the, the fantastic thing about the, the talent in mainland China is once you give them that, Exposure. They they learn. They let really like quick sponge, learners. You know, yeah. they're quick learners. They wanna, yeah. yeah, take in everything, and then they flourish very quickly, and they surprise you as well. So we have more and more talent now out of China. They are winning global awards. And when I was in WPP, uh, WPP actually set up a WPP school in Shanghai together with the. I think it's called the Shanghai Industrial Design uh, University. So we have a WPP school just to groom and develop uh, creative talent. And we have talent that, you know, when they're still at the WPP school already winning A&D awards globally already. And that's how good the talent that's is. That's astonishing. When you were CEO of WPP China, you, you overlooked 14,000 people. You had a, managed a budget of a billion dollars of annual <laughs> revenue. That's no, that's no small job. <laughs> and then two years ago, you, you resigned to focus on your startups. Tell us about the transition. And because you were really doing two jobs mm. at the same time when you transitioned from that WPP, yeah. which was very kind of established and mm-hmm. was kind of not safe, but you, you had structure and you had to go out alone and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and start up yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful for, uh, for Sir Martin agreeing for me to do the 60-40 split uh, in my last four years with WPP. That was from 2013 to 2017. Um, that trans- transition, because on the one hand, I'm, I was WPP China CEO, so I'm still having to help I think 104 companies we have in the group to continue to grow and continue to tackle the business challenging challenges. But on the other hand, I'm also helping tiny little young and new companies who who will wish to have the talent pool of WPP, who will wish to have the client connections, the client relationship, the you know this resource. So I I got to see the you know what's happening at both worlds, and I can find a way to bring them much closer together. But, but that four years also, also gave me a good, like you said, transition. Um, sort of started preparing me much better when I decided to go solo, uh, you know, almost two years ago now. So within your company, within Link, you have a, a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was this a deliberate ploy or is um, it just because women are, are better communicators? Um, Not that I'm biased, of course. <laughs> Now, first of all, in the overall marketing industry in China, we have more women. Uh, so I think is in WPB was 60, 40, 60% women. But what I found in the industry was the higher you go, the less women that you have. It's, you know, take, most, most of the senior positions are taken up by men. Um, so when I started my, my company, I wouldn't say it's deliberate, but I think in my 27 years at WPP, I've seen fascinating women that I know that if we have given these women different platform and different opportunity, they will do even more exciting job than they did before in WPP. And I happen to be colleague uh, to a lot of these women. So when I started my company, I pitched to these colleagues on mine. I said, this is what I'm doing. 
it's not great pay because we're not big corporate, but we'll be doing something so interesting, so different from what we used to do. Um, would you care to join me? And they all say yes. Oh, I, I'm very fortunate. I'm very I don't know grateful, why you but... seem so surprised, Betsy. <laughs> I'd say yes. I'd probably follow you over a cliff. Now, it was Chairman Mao that famously said women hold up half the sky. Mm. In your experience, what has it been like being a woman in China? Because in my time in China, when I worked there full time, I noticed a real camaraderie and a real sisterhood with mm -hmm. China women, Chinese women. They seemed very supportive of one another. Mm -hmm. Did you come across sexism, men putting you down? I, I would say, you know, working in China, I have to say I feel a bit sorry for women, say, in the US and in other countries like Japan or Korea. Because I think in, in China, women has a lot more opportunity uh, to be treated equal in China. That was my because, experience. Uh, yeah, yeah, because well, Chairman Mao said that. But also I think that the one-child policy, we have more than 600 million people who grew up being the only child in the family. So when you're the only child and your parents were not allowed to find out your gender when you know your mom was pregnant with you. So you're the only child... Your, your parents and your grandparents from both sides will be telling you since you were very little that you can do it. You, you can do whatever you want. You know, then we're behind you or supportive. So I think women in China are given a lot more opportunities or better opportunities than their counterparts in the West. And that's why you find, you know, you know percentage wise, proportion wise, uh, you know, a lot more women in China can climb up to the top and they can go as far as they wanted to. It's interesting because here in the West, you know, we had women's lib, we had the feminist liberation, we had, I don't know if you heard of it, you know, burn your bras and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the yeah. Chinese women never had that. But it always, I always found it absolutely fascinating that despite you not actually having a female revolution, you seem to be generally, perhaps apart from politics, mm. and we can we can talk about that, that women seem to be doing a lot better in all sorts of areas compared to women in the West, precisely because of what you've been saying. Mm. I think because, well, again, given what China, the new China has been through right, since, I don't know, early 1920s and 30s, the whole population knows that they didn't have a, a lot to start with. And then when opportunity presents themselves in front of you, Everyone knows that you need to grab hold of the opportunity and make something happen for yourself. Whether you're a man or woman, doesn't matter. What the Communist Party has done, you know, for the good of the people, I think they just give women much better opportunity in China. Now, I want to talk about your early life. Let's go back a bit to, to <laughs> Taiwan, because you said you spent 17 years in China. What's it like now in Taiwan when you go back? And, and what was it like growing up in Taiwan? Um, I think Taiwan versus China. Taiwan didn't go through the many uh, misery mainland China has gone through. So, for instance, the Great, Cul Le Great Leap Forward, yeah, the Cultural, Cultural Revolution, Revolution yeah. and all that. So Chinese cultures get to be preserved and passed on in, in I guess, in, in complete form in Taiwan. But some of the bad things got passed on as well, like superstitions, you know, the, and all that. Tell us about some of the superstitions. I find this fascinating. <laughs> For instance, um, when they're like, you know, we still have very uh, active lunar calendar in, in Taiwan. 
So every major uh, event on the lunar calendar, you'll find people putting out table art on the street, putting food and paper money to burn. It's 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 that sort of <laughs> that sort of things. Did you find when you uh, moved to China, you had to prove yourself at all? Had you already established yourself? Definitely. Uh, I remember when I got relocated to to Shanghai, um, I didn't bring any so my team from Taiwan. I just went along solo. So I had to prove to my team in Shanghai, first of all, I'm here to stay. Not like a lot of experts, only here temporarily for a couple of years and then move on, right? So I need to prove to them prove to them that I'm here to stay. And second of all, I'm not going to bring my team over to take over from you. Because I like to know who you are, what you're good at, what, what are the areas I can help you. I need to prove to my clients as well that you, women from Taiwan who's new to China, you don't know China, right? So, so what is your value to, to, to us? The same to media. So... My Shanghai job actually started one month before my actual arrival because I sent out questionnaire to my 97 staff at that time in Shanghai. I asked them to fill in the questionnaire for me and uh, attach a photo of themselves. So my secretary bundled them together and sent it to Taiwan. So I was reading every 97 of my staff's information before I arrived. And after I arrived, I interviewed every single one of them. So that first six months was an immersion for me. Um, and then slowly, I because I, I, I work hard to trying to understand them and trying to understand the market, trying to understand the clients. So I think slowly I earn their trust um, so I can last this long and still <laughs> counting. <laughs> I mean, for, for what I'm hearing you say is the relationships are very important. I mean, mm. the, to actually sit down and do that beforehand, there's lots of people who wouldn't even bothered. You have a, you have a strong, strong network of thought leaders and C-suite executives. How important are those relationships in your career and how do you maintain them? Um, I think relationship with people at all levels are important. Uh, C-suite, of course, I mean, they have the resource, they have their influence, they have power. But every time I, I you know, get to know my clients, I want to make sure that I also get to know the people, say, in the middle management, even clients, secretary or assistant. Because you don't know what they know about their organization that they're going to be able to help you to, to do a better job servicing them. Um, so for me, at least personally, I, I tend to be very open and not hierarchical when it comes to trying to build relationship with people. And I know that in media, especially in media agencies, a lot of media agency people will have the bad habit of being a pain for the media owners to deal with, especially if you, if you work, work in a big media agency, right? And I, but I always told, advise my colleagues that you want to you want to build authentic relationship with people because. These people today might be your supplier, but tomorrow they may be your clients. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that has always been my principle that I carry with me. What other important elements do you introduce to create a positive work culture and a harmonious atmosphere? Try to be genuine. Um, like I said earlier, you know, that questionnaire I sent out, it's not a formality at all. It's just I genuinely wanted to know my team in Shanghai. So I think I, I, I try to maintain that my entire career life and humbleness. Working in China could get people uh, develop very big ego, if you like, because it's a big market and you can be very successful if you do everything right. Um, so you want to make sure that you, you, you're, not, you're conscious about not having a big ego. You need to be humble all the time. Only when you're humble, 
only when you know that you could be failing, then that then you can take new things in. Um, so those are the two principles that stick with me. So who have been your role models? Who do you kind of aspire to be? A, oh, I mean, or do you not? <laughs> yeah, who's influenced you? I would say my mother influenced me a lot. Um, funny enough that we're talking about women leadership here. When I was growing up, my dad actually was quite chauvinistic being a traditional Chinese man. So I have a sis, younger sister and younger brother. So to my father, all the investment should have gone to the younger brother because he's the son of the family. But my mother, she, she didn't have a, a lot when she was growing up. So she knows how important it is to give children, not just men, you know, girl or boys, but to give children enough exposure and best education that you can get to, to, to help them um, develop themselves. So my mom actually had a tough time fighting my dad about uh, sending me to the U.S. to study. You studied in Illinois. I was, I was yeah, very you know, interested. Say, yeah. what, what was that like? That was, those were the best four years of my time. Uh, because before I flew to the U.S. to start my you know, university education, I've never taken any airplane travel First time I had a you know my passport, never being outside of Taiwan, so that was that how was old were you then? Nineteen, young woman, yeah. <laughs> oh, very very young. Uh, and that four years helped me develop a, a, a different worldview. Taiwan is a small country, and I came to the world's largest country to study. And you, that's the first time for me to see what big country, how big country behave, and what's the influence and power that big country possess. How did the other students te- uh, treat you when you were there? They didn't know how to handle me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, not just me, but I guess Asian students, because that was uh, 1986 to 1990. You don't have that many Chinese. Uh, you don't have that many Asian to start with. So a lot of my uh, American uh, uh, classmates, first of all, didn't know how to deal with Asian um, but there are quite a few of them who are curious, and they they became lifetime friends. And That's I, lovely. Yeah, and I remember my uh, my first year. Uh, I live in a dorm, and my roommate, she her friendliness um, was very important for me to survive that first year. And I tell you what, I recently found her on Facebook. And we got in touch with each other again. That's lovely. Oh, we, well, I was just so thrilled I found her again. I, I couldn't thank her enough. So is your mother still in good health? Yeah, she's still very energetic. So what does she think of her, her lovely daughter? Oh, she's very proud of me, I'm, I'm, I must say. But she's so active and I'm so glad that I have such an active mother. What does and, she do, your mother? Uh, at the moment, she, she's, she's been housewife uh, most of uh, her life. Um, but now she's, uh, you know, you probably don't believe this, but she's a gadget freak. She will make me buy her the latest so you gadget. Her, oh, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got that from you. <laughs> so she's still very active, That's and great. she is showing her friends of similar age that you need to you need to use these digital you know gadgets That's if you want to stay connected with your children and yeah. the world. You know? And she's got I don't know how many people she's got as her fans on Facebook.
we know really from a con- it's a consumerism world that we live in. I think as 800 million potential consumers in China and everyone wants a, a bite of the pie. <laughs> and I, when I was in China, there was a joke that how do you know what's at the heart of a Chinese person? It's an ATM machine, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny to a certain extent, but also maybe there's another side of it. What do you think about China's spirituality and where, where it's going morally as a country? Well, I think for a country that's still growing, I mean, it's a in terms of opening it up to the world, it's a forty-year-old country, right? And yeah, when it quite. comes to marketing, it's uh, less than uh, younger than thirty, twenty years old. So I think the Chinese consumers are overwhelmed about about what presents, what the world presents in front of them. So you can't blame them for wanting to try new things, you know, whether it's trying it out in China or coming to the world. I mean, financially, they can. So coming out to the world to just to see the world and experience the world. Um, I think that's going to still go on for a lot, little while because you you still have people in the lower tier cities that haven't actually gone through that. It's, it's amazing. And yeah. I, I think you make a very interesting point. We, we all see the, the skyscrapers. I mean, I think there are more skyscrapers in Shanghai than there are in Manhattan, <laughs> where we're currently sitting, which is extraordinary. And as you say, it's only a four, it's an equivalent really of a 40 year market. Mm. It, it's, it's such a, an, an, it's in its nascent and it's such a burgeoning market. And everyone is fascinated yeah, by China. And, and I think China itself is probably the world's biggest and most successful disruption story. To lift all those people, people out, of, out of poverty, of poverty is and also the way that we deal, I guess the government deal with uh, population growth, you know, one-child policy. It's controversial, but it's a creative measurement, if you like. You know, if we if they didn't press the population growth, China might end up like what India is like today. Yeah. Um, so, so the, 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 what China has gone through the last forty years was fascinating, and I think that that has given China the whole uh, uh, trial and error. Sp- Errol Spirit, uh, Chairman Deng Xiaoping, what he once said, we should cross the river by filling the stone. And that, that's basically the essence of the last 40 years. So what I'm seeing today with the digital innovation out of China, I think that spirit is still going on. It's, it's only going stronger, not weaker. What about AI in general? Where do you think China fits in in the pecking order with AI? Well, China, I think this is the first time China can be level-headed with the rest of the world because everybody started pretty much at the same point. And I think Chinese government realized that. So they have taken on this all-in you know, attitude. That big exa- example I'm, I'm going to give you now is a, a new city called Xiong'an. The Chinese government is taking on and building it from scratch with all the new technology to accommodate autonomous driving, uh, connectivity, 5G, and you know, so on and so forth. The scale of the project is like building a new Chicago ground, from the ground up, but with high, with advanced technology. So that's the big example, and that's that's driven by the central government. So if you go to Xiong'an now, you actually see quite a lot of companies are piloting autonomous driving, including logistic company. They're piloting. You know, autonomous logistic trucks sending goods or delivering goods from door to, from door to door. So that that's what the government is doing. You clearly are very very hardworking. You mentioned <laughs> working at weekends and things. What do you do when you have time off? What does Bessie Lee do when she's not at work? You know, a lot of people ask me the question of work life balance. 
for me, I can't balance, but I, I take on the work-life integration approach. <laughs> so for instance, I, I shop a lot online in order to understand e-commerce. I have my own little stores on e-com on C2C e-commerce platform. So I know what is it like to be a to seller on e-commerce. I use the latest gadgets. Um, but you know, in my off time, I do yoga and I, and I swim as well. Someone uh, told me you like tennis, is that right? I used to play tennis, but then I, I hurt my knees. Um, uh, but because of that, and also being a woman, I, uh, I'm on the uh, Global Advisory Board to Women Tennis Association. Oh, great. Yeah. What of your future, Bessie Lee? What, what lies ahead? Um, or is it like Dao Xiaoping, one stone at a time? Or do you really have a, a destination you're heading for? I, I, I tell you, in China, um, I can't even tell you what's going to happen in the next five months, let alone the next five years. But I know what I what I'm very passionate and growing more passionate of doing is really to help these young company to grow and not just grow in China. I want to take them to the world and let the world know through what they're doing that China is slowly moving away from the copy land to the creation land, right? So things are now created and originated out of China and the world's are learning from China. So that I, I've taken that on as a personal mission since maybe five years ago, and I want to continue to do that until I can't walk. Even if I can't walk, I'll, I'll be on my wheelchair, <laughs> going around speaking, uh, be like an ambassador of, of, of China's uh, innovation. Basically, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do from your wheelchair. <laughs> but from now, you're certainly a woman who's been there and done that. Thank you so much, Bessie. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters? <laughs>